Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your Word. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to be here. Thank you for safety. Thank you for your provision. And and Lord, we pray that tonight you would give us a timely word, something that we need to hear right now in the situation that we're in, Father. Lord, you're so wise. You know, out of all these scriptures in in the Bible, your inspired word, you you pick out a certain few for us to, to hear and meditate on at a certain time in history, Lord. And so, Father, I do thank you for allowing me to be one of your many servants. And I have the privilege of sharing your word tonight. And so I pray for the gift of teaching and that, Lord, I would decrease and you increase. And that something will be said that will be a blessing to the hearers. And um, and those who are even viewing right now who are not here in person, we thank you for them as well. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, once again, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 24. The title of the lesson is, Don't Become an Avenger. Don't Become an Avenger. Now, at the end of chapter 23 in 1 Samuel, we saw that King Saul was closing in on David and his men But then a messenger came and told Saul that the Philistines had invaded the land. And so Saul stopped chasing David. And then he turned his attention to the Philistines, to fighting them. And so David and his men had the opportunity to move on. And they began to dwell in the strongholds or the hideouts at a place called En Gedi. And so the lesson picks up, of course, in verse 1 in 1 Samuel 24. And it says, now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. And again, En Gedi was an oasis that overlooked the Dead Sea, and it's still there. And of course, there in, in En Gedi, as I shared last week, there was plenty of water, there, there's plenty of wildlife, and there were many caves and defensive positions. And so this was a perfect place for David and his men to hide out in and to survive. And so in verse 2, it says, Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men or elite soldiers from all Israel, and he went to look for David. And his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. And so he came to the sheepfolds by the road where the scripture says there was a cave. And Saul went in to attend to his needs. And so um, some translation says he went in to relieve himself. Uh, The Hebrew means, literally means he went in to cover his feet. And, And that phrase cover his feet is a euphemism for the squatting position one would take. And so the outer robe, of course, during that time of him using the restroom or relieving himself, his outer robe will be touching the ground and it will be concealing his feet as a result. 
And so that's where you get the Hebrew phrase, literally, that means to cover his feet. But in parentheses, it says David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Or in other words, they were in the far back of the cave during that time. And then the men of David said to him, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly or stealthily cut off a corner. In other words, he cut off the edge or the hem of Saul's robe. Now, what are the chances that Saul would end up in the same cave where David and his men were hiding? Out of all the caves he could have chosen at En Gedi to relieve himself, he chose the one David and his men were hiding in. What are the chances And so it's no wonder that David's men interpreted this situation to mean that the Lord wanted David to use this opportunity to kill Saul. But but could it be that the Lord was just using this situation to give to give David an opportunity to show what was really in his heart? Could that be a possibility? Well, of course, it would turn out that David did the right thing and not killing Saul. The only thing he did was cut off the border or the hem or a corner, it says here, of Saul's robe. And so notice that in spite of what his men told him to do, interpreting this situation that, hey, this is the Lord giving your enemy, giving Saul over into your hand. Instead of him listening to his friends, to his men, He did the opposite. He didn't kill Saul. And so I would just say that for us to to make sure that we hear clearly from the Lord, not just go with any whim that we may have or go with what our friends may say, because they may interpret a situation to mean that, oh, the Lord is blessing you. Take advantage of that. That's how they may interpret it. That's how we may interpret the situation that, oh, the Lord is really blessing us. Maybe we should go ahead and move forward with this. But again, make sure we're hearing clearly from the Lord and not just going along with our flesh or what we think or what our friends say. And the Lord, when we go to him, he will either confirm what they tell us. He will either confirm our thoughts or he will tell us something different. Now I have, I've had a situation like this where I did the opposite of David. I kind of went with my whim. I saw the situation and I immediately interpreted that situation to mean that, oh, God wants me to move forward. It is a blessing. And because in 2007, um, that's, that's the year we moved from um, Compton, California to Arizona. And so we owned a house there in, in Compton and Um, Our goal was to rent out the house for a couple years. And at the time, I was 28 years old. And so we wanted to rent out the house for a couple years, then sell that house in in Compton, California. And so with us looking for renters, before we put out any information, um, this lady and this family, they reach out to us uh, with their real estate agent and so forth. And so we were like, wow, this is perfect timing. 
wow, we're looking for renters and, and this person here, they, they need some help. They got put out or whatever. And they seem to be professional. They have a, a real estate agent and all that. And so we were young at the time. Like I said, 28. We didn't do any background checks. We didn't do any of that. We didn't use a property management company or anything. We just saw this situation as a blessing. Well, to make a long story short, about a year later, they became squatters. <laughs> And and they stopped paying. And so, you know, we're trying to be the Christian landlords and give them some time and do all this. And we're paying uh, mortgages on two houses, one out there, one out here. And I'm a teacher, so I'm doing this on the teacher's salary. And so, you know, we were making it for a little while. Then all of a sudden we were like, you know what, we got to move forward. We got to do something to get them out. But anyway, by the time they got put out the house, the house had foreclosed. The bank took over that house in California. So we didn't get any benefit from owning that house out in California. And so it took years to, for us to recover from that. But we, we, we saw the situation. And we immediately thought it was a blessing. We should, should have spent more time praying to the Lord. And so I like what David did, how he just doesn't go with the first thing. Oh, it looks like a blessing. The one who's been chasing me, the one who's been trying to kill me, right? He's right here. My, my friends are telling me to go ahead and do it. This looks like a blessing. This looks like I could put an end to me being on the run. But he thought differently and did differently. And I wish that I would have done the same in that situation. And maybe some of you are in a situation right now and it looks really good on the outside. It looks like a blessing right now. And I would just suggest to you to make sure that it's from the Lord. Spend that time with him. Go in your closet, not literal closet, but that quiet time, that private time. And, and if you have to shut the doors literally to your bedroom or literally, literally go in a closet and pray just to spend time with your heavenly father, do that. But you need to hear from him. You need that clear direction from the Lord. Amen. Amen. And so the scriptures tell us. I think I'm in where we are, verse 5. It says, now it happened afterwards that David's heart or his conscience troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed, he is the appointed, the chosen of the Lord. And so David persuaded or restrained his servant with those words. And he did not allow his men to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. And so David didn't even go all the way with the act of killing Saul or harming him physically. But his conscience still bothered him. His heart troubled him. Just over that little bit that he did. He just cut off the corner of his robe. But He was bothered by that. And that's because Saul's robe was a symbol of his royal authority. It was a symbol of his divinely appointed office as king. And I just wonder tonight if you've ever been in that position in which you could have carried out an act that would have been really bad, but you didn't go through with it. Maybe that thought just flew through your head, but you didn't let it land. You didn't let that land, that, that, 
that thought like a bird, so to speak. If you picture that thought as a bird, you didn't let it settle in your mind and build a nest. But maybe it just flew through. But, or maybe you did allow it to build a nest, but you still didn't go through with that situation that would have been really bad. However, the fact that you entertained that thought for just a minute too long. In other words, it, just, you, you only just cut the hem, just like David did. But you cut the hem, just the border off of that situation. And I'm talking in metaphorical terms, of course. You, you just entertained it just a little bit. Just cut the hem. And just with that little bit you did, that little bit you entertained for that little bit of time, it, it still bothered your conscience. So maybe you are or were in that position. And I'm just telling on myself tonight. Because I've been in that position as well. Where, where I could have done worse, but I didn't. But the little bit that I did bothered me. It, it, it bothered my conscience. And that situation involved driving. How come everything, a lot of stuff where anger is displayed Involves driving. But one time I was at a, I was at a light and, the, and of course it was one of those lights where, you know, it had the arrows, red arrow, you know, green arrow, so to speak. And, the, and that arrow to turn left had just turned green. It just turned green. I didn't even have a moment to let my foot off, to, to press the gas or anything. And the person be, behind me blew an obnoxious horn. <laughs> And, you, and you, yeah, and that just, you know, it was like, wow, you have no patience. You know, it's what I'm thinking. And so that really bothered me. And so, you know, we're driving. We may both make our left and I see the car. I saw it in my rearview mirror. So, you know, I didn't do anything, but we ended up at the same light. And as we ended up at the same light, sometimes I just want to look in the car, not to intimidate, but just to see who made this decision. I just want to see what you look like. And so I looked over there and, and I smiled and I waved. Now, I didn't yell. I didn't curse. I didn't do any gestures with my hands or anything like that. You know, I didn't threaten anybody. But I smiled and waved at that person. But then as I drove off, as I continued to go forward, my conscience bothered me. You know, I didn't go through with a huge act that could have been really bad. I just cut off the hem, so to speak, of that situation with the smile and the wave. Well, Pastor Darrell, why is that so bad? The reason it was bad, the reason I, my conscience bothered me, the reason I was convicted is because I was being sarcastic. I didn't mean that smile and I didn't mean that wave. I was just being sarcastic and immediately I felt a conviction from the Holy Spirit. My conscience bothered me. And, and maybe some of you are in that situation. You could have done something really bad, really, really bad, but you didn't. You just cut off the hem. And maybe your conscience is bothering you. Maybe it's still bothering you and you haven't had a chance to repent. I would say do that tonight. Don't wait. Don't wait. Confess that to the Lord. But in verse 8, it says, David also arose afterward and he went out of the cave and he called out to Saul saying, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, 
David stooped with his face to the earth and he bowed down or he paid homage. And David in verse 9 said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave and someone urged me to kill you. But my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. He is the Lord's chosen one, the one chosen and appointed to be king. And I just want you to notice that level of respect that David still had for Saul, even though Saul was trying to kill him. And the reason for that is because David recognized that Saul is the king and that, yes, God is the one who put him in that office. Oh, and I'm going to ask a hard question. How about us? As Christian, do we recognize that, that someone is in a particular office of leadership and authority because God put them there or allowed them to be there? Do you remember what Jesus said to Pilate? You know, because Pilate thought he had this authority. All this authority, which he did on, on human level, he had some authority. But Jesus had to remind Pilate that you would have no power over me except it was given to you from above. You would have no authority except the Lord gave it to you. Jesus had to remind him. So, yes, people who are in office are allowed to be there or God put them there for a certain purpose. And no, we're not going to agree on everything that that leader says. We're not going to agree on everything that that leader does or supports. And we shouldn't agree with everything that they say, everything that they do or support if it's clearly sinful. But do we have that balance of being loving, respectful, and non-compromising when it comes to the word of God? And do we, like the scriptures tell us to do, pray for those leaders? Because when the scriptures were written, when God used the apostle Paul to write the scriptures about praying for the leadership, uh, he didn't have the best of leader in place. And so that goes for, for all time. We're to pray for the leaders and what witness, what great witness we could be if we were to do that. And so whether it's good or bad human leadership. Like I said, God put them there or allowed them to be there for a purpose. And, and get this, sometimes God gives people the leadership that they want. And sometimes he does that in judgment. Because remember, the, the, the uh, people of Israel, they clamored for a king. They rejected God as the true king. Because he was king the whole time and they wanted a human king. And so okay, God said, okay, I'm going to give you what you want. And guess what they got? They got Saul. In fact, it says this in, in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 12, verse 13. Now, now, in context, this is at Saul's coronation. And, and Samuel is talking to the people of Israel and he's reminding them of how the Lord had always come through for them and their ancestors. And during this address, this is what he said to them. He said, now, therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired. And take note, the Lord has set a king over you. This is what you wanted. This is the king you got. And what they got, they got Saul. They got a man who was not after God's own heart. But praise God that God had anointed David as that next king who would take over. And David was God's king. Saul was the king of the people. 
But whatever the case may be, again, whether good or bad, we know that human leaders are not perfect. But either way, and this is what should be created or stirred up within us, whether it's a good or bad leader in our country or even a boss at work, whatever the case may be, it should make us long for the Lord's leadership because the Lord is going to come back. He's going to visibly come back and he's going to set his foot on the Mount of Olives. Now, I'm not talking about the rapture. I'm talking about the second coming, which is after the rapture and after the tribulation period, where he's going to set foot on the Mount of Olives. And it says he's going to reign for a thousand years and will rule and reign with him. We're going to come back with him and help him rule and reign like he needs help. But he allows us to do that. That's the privilege we have as saints, as people who repented and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so when we look at human leadership, it should really make us long for the leadership of the Lord. Because during that time, there's going to be worldwide peace, what people are looking for right now. During that time, there's going to be worldwide righteousness. Then the scriptures tell us that people all across the earth, they're going to know the Lord. That the knowledge of the Lord, it says, will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. The scriptures tell us that. There's not going to be fighting between animal and animal. There's not even going to be peace between animals within the animal kingdom. There's going to be peace between humans and animals. You see that, for example, in Isaiah chapter 11, and I mentioned that before in one of the past lessons, but that's the type of leadership that, should be, that, that we should long for. But as of now, pray for those who are in leadership. But then we continue with the words of David as he continues to speak to King Saul in verse 11. He says, moreover, my father, see. He says, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner. I just cut off the hem of your robe and I did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion or treason in my hand. And I have not sinned against you, Saul, yet you hunt my life to take it. He says, let the Lord judge between you and me and let the Lord avenge me on you or take vengeance on you for me. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients say, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. In other words, David is saying, look, if I were wicked, I would have done something wicked. If my heart were wicked, Saul, I would have done something bad to you is what he's saying. To put it in New Testament terms, in other words, he's saying, I'm not a bad tree. Therefore, Saul, you didn't get bad fruit from me. In verse 14, it says, after whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore, let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case or cause and deliver me out of your hand. Look at how David looks at himself. He, he sees himself as a nobody. He sees himself as a dead dog and a flea. Somebody insignificant. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm somebody insignificant, Saul, and you're hunting me down. You're spending all of this time and energy coming after me. 
But that's not how Saul saw him. Saul knew that, that he would be the next king of Israel. Saul knew that. And so he was upset with Jonathan and Jonathan's friendship with David. And Jonathan, if you're new to the, to the lessons in Samuel, Jonathan is Saul's son who really could have been the next king. But even Jonathan understood that, hey, David, this is your place. This is what you're, you're going to do. And so Saul didn't see David as somebody insignificant, as a dead dog or, or a flea. But no, you're a threat to my throne. But you think of us as humans. We, we are created beings. We are made a little lower than the angels. We, we are, so to speak, a dead dog or a flea. We are small in this huge universe. Insignificant seemingly in this huge universe. Just as David saw himself. As humans, we are finite. We are limited. However, the devil... The devil, he sees us as a threat, just like Saul saw David as a threat. The devil sees us as humans as a threat, although we're we're made a little lower than the angels. You see, as witnesses, we can truly be a threat as witnesses for Christ. That is. And how is that? How can we be a threat to Satan's kingdom? And that's because we can, we can disrupt the kingdom of darkness. We can disrupt Satan's kingdom as we introduce people to another kingdom. As we introduce people to another king, that is King Jesus, through the preaching of the gospel. When we tell people that, hey, you don't have to be a part of that kingdom of darkness. That, that, that you don't have to be enslaved to sin. That there's a way out. You don't have to go to hell. When we tell people that, When we tell people that there is a king who took upon a human body and he died for you because God so loved the world. And this king, Jesus, he he was resurrected from the dead. So this is a living king. This is a living savior. And we share that with people that, hey, if you put your faith in this Jesus and this new king, then then guess what? You'll come out of that kingdom of darkness. Guess what? You're the chains of, of, of that slavery to sin will be broken and you'll end up in heaven instead of hell. You'll end up as a child of God and you'll have a relationship with God. We tell people that then we are causing disruption to the kingdom of darkness. We begin, with, we begin to do what the apostle Paul was called to do. See, the scriptures tell us in Acts 26 verses 17 and 18 as, as Paul is talking about his conversion What he does is share what Jesus told him. He says, I will deliver you. This is what Jesus is telling Saul or Paul. His name was Saul as well. But this is what he's telling Paul in the New Testament. He says, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. I'll send you there to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. See, if we continue to carry that torch that was given to the apostle Paul in disrupting the satanic kingdom by turning people from the power of Satan to God. Oh, Satan sees us as a threat. Just like Saul saw David as a threat. 
But the question I want to pose to you tonight is how much of a disruptor to Satan's kingdom are you? Because you're not much of a disruptor. I wouldn't be much of a disruptor to the kingdom of Satan if I were living like the world. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, make sure we stand focused on him and walking in the spirit. Because if we walk in the spirit, as Galatians tell us, then guess what? We will not fulfill the desires of the flesh because the flesh, the sin nature has desires. And it wants us to do things that are contrary to the will of God. But the Holy Spirit has desires and the Holy Spirit um, desire for us is is to do those things that please God. And so therefore we want to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the desires of the, the of the flesh or the lust of the flesh. The scriptures also say in verse 16, it says, so it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, is this your voice, my son, David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And then he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you how you have dealt well with me for when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely or unharmed? Therefore, Saul says to David, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And and now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established or flourish in your hand or under your authority. And in verse 21, he says, therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or my offspring under me or after me. And that you will not destroy my name from my father's house or family. And so David swore to Saul and Saul went home. But David and his men went up uh, to the stronghold. They went up to that mountain stronghold. In other words, at En Gedi. So during this emotional time, after realizing his life had been spared, it seems as though Saul had come to his senses and he's and he's thinking soberly and he's saying the right thing. That's what it seems like. But but we'll soon see that this man, Saul, is not done with going after David. And so I would say this because many of us make emotional decisions because maybe your life was spared or maybe you're happy because you just got blessed with something. You just got blessed with the job, something you've been praying for. And so right now, you're, you're making that emotional decision. You're in an emotional state right now. You're telling God, God, I'm, I'm so committed to you. I'm going to do this and that for you, David. Or God, just like Saul did to David. But was it true repentance? Was he truly sorry? In that moment, it seems like I said he was sober, but was he truly sorry and For some of us, are we truly sorry or are we just in an emotional state? Because the scriptures tell us that true repentance involves a change in the pattern of our lives. You know, John the Baptist, you know, he even mentioned that. He mentioned that to the religious leaders. He mentioned to them that they should bring uh, fruit that are worthy of repentance Because if there's true repentance, a change of mind and how we we view sin, then there's going to be fruit from that. And the pattern of our lives won't be sinful. And so are we we in that place or 
where there's true repentance or, or is, are you just in an emotional state? That's between you and the Lord. But I have to ask the question. But I just wonder, how, how would it have looked if David had killed Saul? How would that have looked on his resume? How would that have looked to us who have the privilege of reading the scriptures and have the privilege of reading the, this real life story? What it would look like if he would have done that is that he, he murdered his way to the top. It would have seemed as though he gained his position by way of killing the king. That wouldn't have looked good. So, yes, David did the right thing. He did the right thing by not taking vengeance on King Saul. After all that King Saul put him through, the envy, the, the spear throwing, the setups, you know, trying to get him killed by the Philistine and so forth. You know, giving Merab, which was Saul's older daughter, to another man instead of David. And trying to turn his wife, Michal, against him. All these chases and so forth. All these things that Saul put him through. And yet he didn't take vengeance on King Saul. He did the right thing. And, and like David, some of you, some of you have been mistreated. Some of you have been talked about. Some of you have been threatened and had your marriage interfered with by others. Some of you have been lied on and some of you have had your lives disrupted by certain people. But I would say do not give in to vengeance. In other words, do not become an avenger. I know we're not talking about superheroes. So I'm well aware of the Avengers, the superheroes. And if you're wondering, by the way, which one is my favorite, I like Incredible Hulk. I just wanted to throw that out there. I'm an Incredible Hulk guy. I, I used to watch the show, even when Lou Ferrigno, you know, when he played Incredible Hulk on the TV show. So I'm an Incredible Hulk guy, just in case you were wondering. But I'm not talking about the superheroes. But when I say don't become an avenger, don't become a person who's going to take revenge on someone, who's going to take vengeance into your own hands. And there are some points I want to share with you of why we should not give in to vengeance, why we should not become an avenger. And the first point I want to share with you is that we'll go overboard. If we give in to vengeance, number one, we'll go overboard. Because one thing that, that we'll do as humans, or at least have the tendency to do as humans, is, is to see other people's sins as worse than ours. And we will tend to give others or dish out a worse punishment on others than we would give to ourselves, even if we were to commit the same sin. And so there's just something within our sin nature that does that. And so we may go overboard. So that's why we shouldn't give in to vengeance. You see, and there's a real purpose because people are wondering, for example, about, oh, well, what about eye for an eye, tooth, tooth for tooth? Well, the purpose of eye for eye, tooth for tooth is to make sure that the consequence matched the crime. It was to make sure that somebody didn't go overboard. So in other words, if a person knocked out one of your teeth, you don't cut off his leg. You know, somebody knocked out one tooth, you don't knock out the rest of the ones he, have, he has in his mouth. 
No, eye for eye. They knocked out one of your eyes. You only get the one eye from them. That's it. And so it was to make sure the consequence matched the crime. And God had to put that in there. Why? Because we'll go overboard. So that's why we shouldn't give in to vengeance or become an avenger. And that's just point number one. But point number two is that our motives and attitudes may be wrong. And many times our, our motives and attitudes are wrong. And so that's, that's reason number two to not give in to vengeance or become an avenger. But then there's this point here that, that we'll give in to unforgiveness. And we know that is not in the will of God. For us to give in to unforgiveness. He wants us to forgive just as we were forgiven. And we were forgiven of so much. And, and, and you may see yourselves as, oh, I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not as bad as she is or whatever the case may be. You may see that. But the scriptures puts us all under sin says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all fallen short of God's holy and perfect standards. And all our righteousness are like filthy rags in the sight of God. All the righteous things we try to do without Christ, without being saved, it means nothing. They're filthy to God. Our work's important. Good work's important, yes, but only after salvation. Only after Salvation are the good works important. And so the good works really is just an overflow of us having the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And the Holy Spirit only indwells believers, people who repent and puts their faith in Christ. And so we don't want to give in to unforgiveness, right? So therefore, don't give in to vengeance. Don't become an avenger. And also, if we gave in to vengeance or became an avenger, We will give in to uncontrolled anger. We'll give in to uncontrolled anger. And to not have self-control means that the fruit of the spirit is not on display in our lives. Because Galatians tells us that part of the fruit of the spirit is self-control. And so to have uncontrolled anger because you're giving in to vengeance, it's not what God wants for us. In fact, this is what it says in Proverbs 16.32. It says, he... Who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. This is how God views a person who's slow to anger, who doesn't give in to anger. The Bible says, yes, be angry, but sin not. But are you angry at the right things? Are you angry at injustice? Are you angry at sin? You know, Jesus, that's called righteous indignation. To be angry at the right thing in the the right way. Righteous indignation, there is a such thing as that. Jesus showed that when he overturned the tables in the temple. See, but we don't want to give in to uncontrolled anger and begin to sin. But but here's another point of why we shouldn't give in to vengeance is, is that we'll be overcome by evil at that point. We'll be overcome by evil. In Romans Chapter 12, verse 21 tells us this. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And we see David do that. He overcame evil with good. But guess what? When we give into vengeance, once again, we do the opposite. We'll be overcome by evil. Overcome by evil. 
But Pastor Darrell, how can we overcome evil with good? That's why I like reading both Testaments. You read all the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament. They do not contradict. Matthew 5, verses 44 and 45. This is what Jesus is saying, or this is what Jesus said. And I, and I could use the word saying because he's still speaking. The, these words are still relevant. It says, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you or treat you abusively and persecute you that you may be the sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Well, well, Pastor Durrell, I thought you said that we were not saved by works. This seems to show that we become children of God if if we were to love our enemies and so forth. That's not what it's saying. It's just saying you'll be acting like children of God. In other words, you'll be demonstrating your relationship with God and that uh, he is your father, you are his child. If you do these things, you'll be acting like him. And that's what children, children do. They, 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 they show some type of similarity to their parents. And spiritually speaking, as Christians, God is our father. And so that will be a similarity to God that we show when we love those who don't love us back. When we bless those who curse us, when we do good to those who hate us, when we pray for those who, who treat us abusively. And so we can do that, of course, not in the power of ourselves, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. But then there's another point I want to share with you of what would happen if we gave in to vengeance or became an avenger. We began to avenge ourselves or take revenge what will happen is that we'll step inappropriately, of course, in the place of God. That is God's place. Because the people who may offend us and who may consider themselves our enemies, they are God's creation, not our creation. And it is his standards that have been broken, not ours. He is sovereign. He's in control. He doesn't, even need, he doesn't need anybody's permission to do what he does. He is sovereign. He knows all things. We see the outside. We see the outside. We, we see the external when it comes to people. But God sees the heart. He knows what's in the heart. Even before a person thinks a thought, he knows what that thought is going to be. And even though a person didn't choose something or didn't do anything, he knows the possibility of what that choice would have been. And so... If God is that way, we should let him be God. Don't step into the place of God by taking vengeance in our own hands. Vengeance belongs to him. So as the worship team comes up, I want to say to to trust God to deal justly and righteously in his timing like David did. I'll say that one more time. Trust God to deal justly and righteously in his timing, just like David did. Because remember in verse 12, it is David who said, let the Lord avenge me on you. That's what David said. That's the heart we should have. Romans 12, 19 says, beloved do not, here's our word again, do not avenge yourselves. 
but rather give place to wrath for it is written. What did God say? Vengeance is mine. God is the ultimate avenger. Vengeance belongs to him. I will repay, says the Lord. So, so tonight, I, I'm just wondering. And when I say I'm just wondering, I, I don't mean that you come up after service and you tell me this. But I'm just wondering, who is that person or group in your life that's been bullying you? Who is that person or group in your life that has been putting you down? That person who's been a part of the problem and not the solution in your life. That person who's always a taker and not a giver in your life. That person who always has you on the run. Or that person that that really gets under your skin and makes you angry because they're always saying hateful things to you. They're always doing hateful things to you. Maybe they abused you maybe they disrupted your life who was that who is that person and you want so bad to take vengeance upon them you can't even sleep well at night because you're thinking about how you're going to get that person back they they embarrassed you during that meeting they took your position you see at work and they teased you about it or maybe maybe that person is somebody You're in a relationship with, you're married to, maybe they cheated on you and you want to get them back so bad. But is vengeance yours? Does it belong to you? Or maybe it's that parent, that mom or dad that wasn't in your life growing up and and you're angry at them and they promise to pick you up. They promise to spend time with you. They promise to buy you that gift that, that you told them about every single year and they never came through and you've been angry at them since you were 10 years old and, and you're an adult, you're married, you have children of your own, but you still have not forgiven mom or dad or whoever it was who made those promises and they never came through for you. In fact, they've been such an enemy to you. They've always talked bad about you. They were never an encourager to you, who is that person or that group? Well, I would say to apply what we learned tonight. Do good to them. Pray for them. And let the Lord do his part. Father, we thank you for who you are. Thank you that vengeance belongs to you. You take that pressure off of us. You take that pressure off of us, Lord. And so, Lord, if there's anybody who's struggling with animosity towards someone who has hurt them in the past, maybe it's the far away past or the near past, whatever it may be, Lord, you know. And it's hindering their walk with you, Lord. It's hindering their witness, Lord. Father, I pray that you would release that from them tonight. Help them, Lord, to move forward in Christ Jesus. And not worry or depend on on that other person to turn and to do better, but to do their part, to trust you, pray for those who hurt them, bless those who curse them, love those who hate them, and we even experience this in this political climate of today, Father. 
seen this growing up. Just because somebody wears another color, there's animosity. So much animosity in the world, Father, but you desire for your children to be different. Help us, my God. Forgive us if we sin in this area of trying to take vengeance into our own hands. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. And if there's anyone who's in this room or listening online or whatever the case is, Father, and they're not saved, they don't remember ever repenting and putting their trust in Jesus, I pray that you would continue to tug on their hearts, that you convict them of sin, that you would draw them, Lord. And bless my brothers and sisters with traveling grace as they go back home. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.